All right, we are live on YouTube. Yes. All right, let me. <laughs> okay. Anima Nuora, that's that's how we say your name. Sure. Okay. Uh, thank you uh, so much um, for appearing on the new failed state update. We've been gone for a while. We're back. And, um, you know, the whole purpose of the show is really just like discussing what we call the, the culture of American decline. So a friend of mine um, who was raised in, in uh, the USSR actually coined that term. He, um, he moved to the United States when he was like a teenager and he went back after Soviet union fell and he was living in Russia. And after that, when he returned to the United States, he started seeing kind of precisely what was happening in the fall of the Soviet union start to happen in the United States. And it's, um, and I was just wondering from your perspective, is it like, so you, you grew up in Prague and um, how long have you been in the States? I have been here for over a year. Like, I've been here before, but a year is when I moved here. Okay. And um, do you see, like, kind of, uh, is it like deja vu being in the United States now compared to? It, I haven't gotten a deja vu. It's profoundly different, but I certainly have gotten a lot of shocking and surprising impressions that made me like draw comparisons to where i came from but a uh, lot of <laughs> yeah and also um being confronted like with the expectations versus reality like that has been a very hard that has been a very hard fall it, and it continues to be i uh i'm discovering an entirely different story for myself and even you know, with others who, who, who came here for the so-called American dream. And for many of us, it actually turned into the American nightmare. Like there's a lot more people nowadays that's gonna, who are going to openly tell you like, why do you come here? Who would even want to be here? Mm -hmm. You know, why would you leave a place like Prague? And this just was not the case even just five years ago, 10 years ago. You know, I was considering this move, actually, it was always in um, in the cards for me. Like, I always knew that that was my destiny, sort of. Mm -hmm. But um, I almost came here in 2014. And, like, what I can say is that every year has been progressively worse. Really? And, like, this was the worst time to come to America, like last year you know it was just um it was a nightmare that the lockdowns were worldwide and the way i was seeing it where i was was like you know you're gonna do it now or maybe half a year from now you know they will take our passports from us they will institute the vaccine passports instead some kind of you know, total control of movement of population, which has actually been implemented partially. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the travel was severely, severely restricted. There was 
people from all over the world being stuck in different places and nobody cared, you know, if your father is dying or if you're visiting your spouse, people have just been like really oppressed in pretty cruel ways. And and nobody knew how fast it was going to progress. Mm-hmm. So I kind of made the decision to go now in about January, February last year. I was also seeing a lot of like unsustainable pressure on businesses. They basically all went belly up in, in my hometown. Everything was ordered closed by the government, but without any subsidies, you were basically deprived of making a living, mm-hmm. you know, from one day to another. And it went on for months. It went on for two years, maybe. So I was like, you know, if they can do this to us, then what is the perspective in running a business? The prices are going to go up, which is exactly what happened. Prices of energy went up like 100% since Mm -hmm. I left. It doubled. Prices for heating your house have doubled in Central Eastern Europe, which was never a very... I mean, it's been kind of a harsh place to live even before. Right now, with these price hikes, I honestly don't know how people are going to make it. So if you're selling anything that is not deemed like a life necessary, like a life necessity kind of service, mm-hmm. like alcohol, you know, alcohol sales went up <laughs> considerably, rehabs are full, domestic violence and child abuse went up during the lockdowns. So unless you're you're a war profiteering kind of business... <laughs> then, uh, you know, you're going to struggle and you will always be faced with this fear, like, you know, what if we are just ordered to be closed? Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, our witch's Sabbath became the illegal witch's Sabbath. Literally, literally, the government was tracing people's cell phones. And if you would congregate in a number greater than two, they could. they were sending SWAT teams to ostensibly break into secret parties Mm -hmm. because people were forbidden from congregating altogether, socializing, visiting family, freedom of religious worship, you know. So it was entirely anti-constitutional. What I saw was unprecedented. Of course, the USA was in on it as well, but... Depending on a location, it was like still kind of more tolerable here. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, I would think so. So it was a, you know, it was one of those life decisions that you have to make, or you feel like you have to make it because you don't want to be like the people in 1944, 1945, or in the 30s, or in the 20s who just got stuck, you know, on the wrong side. Of the border somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I want to get back to that, what you were just saying. It's really interesting. But I think we should kind of work up there from kind of where you got your start. Because, you know, I asked you before we started, should I introduce you as an occultist or a witch? And you were like, all of the above. <laughs> so so how do we, uh, how do you get end up you know, in the field or the pursuit of... I've been in it since childhood. My father was an occultist, so, like, I was raised with it. It was my first and only profession. I never 
worked a, a day job. Like I became mm-hmm. an entrepreneur in my early twenties. I was even like media famous. I got published. So I had my witchcraft studio, you know, my offices running workshops, serving people, doing divination. I had a witchcraft store. I was doing lectures, presentations, rituals for hire, the whole thing, you know, that's, that's been my life pretty much for 15 years. And, you know, the one, I love America, but the one complaint that we, a lot of us have is there's no sense of history. People, you know, it's such a young country that we think everything started in the 1700s. But, oh, not even not even that. Las Vegas started in the fifties. Exactly. Yeah, and it gets rebuilt every twenty years. You know. Um, so, what's your perspective of pr- a practitioner coming from a place with such a a history, such like a rich and long history as Prague? I I, I actually prefer the American spirit. Because mm-hmm. people here are more spiritual. They're not stuck in the academic uh, worldview. Mm-hmm. They are in it more for for the practice. You know, they, they, they found their own way into it. I actually came here for the left-hand path, like for the Black magicians, because this particular genre of the occult is it's kind of an American thing, I guess, mm-hmm. or like a Western thing. Um scandinavian perhaps as well where where i come from it's kind of unheard of like there's very few practitioners Mm -hmm. so i wanted to be among my people that was one of the draws always well i guess um this is probably annoying a question an annoying question but Given our audience, maybe you should explain what the left-hand path oh, is. Oh, sure. Yeah. I didn't realize that's like a very, this is a fairly fringe term. Uh-huh. So the left-hand path um, is contrasted to the right-hand path, as in black and white magic. It is said to be like the sinister path. Mm-hmm. Many of these people will call themselves to be Luciferians, uh, Satanists, uh, Black magicians. It, it actually originates from India, from Tantra. But even there, it has like this connotation of basically breaking social taboos, you know, kind of living as a spiritual outlaw. Uh, you know, it's the people who who will eat the ashes of the dead and mm-hmm. meditate in graveyards. And they'll, just, they'll just do their own spiritual thing kind of outside of the society in defiance of society. So it's this like a lone wolf, um, warlock, um, magician archetype. It's mm-hmm. a solitary path decidedly, but we, we do congregate, like we're kind of drawn together by, mm-hmm. um, by necessity. And, and we brush shoulders with, with pagans, of course, because many of us work with pagan gods. Mm-hmm. Um, we brush shoulders with the, with the New Agers, who are mostly more in the love and light, you know. Mm-hmm. But basically, it's like the Western de- demonology grimoire tradition. Mm-hmm. That's what it's kind of built on. So it goes back to King Solomon and uh, and Babylon. It was forbidden, of course, throughout the history after Christianity took over. So it still carries this, like a forbidden arts dark arts mm-hmm. um that's 
that some other names that you know people were will refer to it as right and um one thing that i think a lot of these boundaries are really kind of blurred you know oh, and i think absolutely and and i get the impression talking to a lot of people not so many on the left-hand path but people who would consider themselves on the right-hand path and then you know reading about the left-hand stuff that like it's really two sides of the same coin oh sure it's just branding you know it, yeah. it's just uh it's just branding and if you if you take regardless of what path you take if you're serious about it you will arrive at the same conclusions mm -hmm. but i would also not say that these terms are like devoid of meaning mm -hmm. because you know many of us refer to ourselves as like the devil worshippers or witches you know the hairs of, of the witch's sabbath so at the very least i think it's it is to honor our ancestors and our predecessors who really mm -hmm. suffered to keep those practices alive who are persecuted mm -hmm. who did it all in darkness you know when it was really dangerous this episode is brought to you by paramount plus Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like, I think when things became popularized, just speaking as, you know, in the United States, as things became kind of popularized, like kind of a more black and white meaning, you know, like unnuanced view kind of took hold where, you know, you meet like new age people are like, you know, magic should only be used to expand your consciousness. If you try to, you know, use it to get something, then you're like a, you know, a black brother or like, even like Alistair Crowley, who, you know, considered himself, you know, the white brotherhood, you know, he, he considered himself as saying, you know, all magic should be used to in pursuit of, you know, your true will. But if you actually read his diaries or whatever, he's if always you look at his life, you know, yeah. like he practiced animal sacrifice and he, mm -hmm. he lived it up, you know? Yeah. And he's always like doing magic to get laid or to pay the rent. They all do, you know, so, they, they all do. <laughs> yeah. But you know, he justifies that as saying, well, because if I don't have an apartment, if I get kicked out of my apartment, I can't pursue my true will. There's it, a it lot a, of it. It is a constant battle between ideals and practice. And I would also say that, like with these historical or even contemporary big figures, 
the art is like highly controversial and it's a it's a pure fantasy it's a projection people almost revert crowley as a saint Mm -hmm. kind of a demigod figure which i personally don't like don't get it you know like Uh to me people like anton sandor lave have done more good argumentation more good writing more job in actually founding something Mm -hmm. bringing forth a philosophy that is still useful um but you know who am i to judge like who knows what people will say about anima nora 50 years from now or 100 years from now my writings might be rediscovered and (laughs) yeah well that's the one thing that's really scary to me is that everybody i know is writing you know blogs or email newsletters or something what if all the computers crash like where's all our work going to be in 200 years you know it's we don't know you know that's the thing like we use different media to preserve knowledge and most of it has been lost you know like Mm -hmm. the stuff that's been preserved it's it's kind of random i have personally learned more about history from like past life regression that i've done than from history because most history is unrecorded it's written by the winners it's all lies and propaganda (laughs) what um we're gonna work our way up to past live regression i want to (laughs) know what your uh kind of you said you were raised in a family where this stuff was common kind of what were you doing as a younger person how were you kind of experiencing it and how were you exposed to it I was born in 1987, two years before the Iron Curtain fell. At that time, in the late 80s, were like a time of like a spiritual revival, sort of. Mm -hmm. At at, at that time, my parents actually met. They were match made in the spiritualist circle. Uh, You know, the the man who introduced them was known to be, he was a genius mathematician, a mystic. It was a group of practicing mystic yogis and and Buddhists. And um, also the underground Catholic church was playing into that. And he was believed to be a reincarnation of some ancient Egyptian high priest. So my my parents actually believed that they were a couple before and they had like a sacred marriage sort of calling they have both moved hundreds of miles into the capital city where they were introduced and um, this man then the high priest he became my godfather so i i was uh i was swimming in these circles you know since my early childhood sort of i mean my father sort of considered me like a spiritual prodigy like mm-hmm. he wanted me to develop these talents, these gifts. So I got my first tarot when I was 11, you know, by age 13, I was fluent, fluent in astrology. My parents believed in like prophecy and power of prayer manifestation of thoughts, you know, interpreting of dreams. So I was kind of encouraged in this direction. Um, but, you know, like, you don't really appreciate things as a child. Mm-hmm. So I thought my father was just like a bogus hippie with a lot of crazy stories with a wild imagination. I wasn't buying into the past life stuff at all. Mm-hmm. I thought that it was just something he used to, you know, 
like to bluff with women and pull wool over their eyes Mm -hmm. that 20 years later dawned on me that like they were entirely correct in in what they said what what they felt because i saw it like i saw my parents together before and and even they were my parents before Mm -hmm. like you know this whole setup has been recreated a bunch of times um i mean they, they had their um arguments between themselves because my mother was wary of the occult she was a catholic convert my father was also a convert to religion but he but he pursued a more occult more mystical path so you know he was the one introducing me to all these things my mother was kind of wary of it so i do remember like i was kind of dragged into their marital disputes sometimes mm-hmm. um because like i was his special daughter my siblings did not express the interest in the occult they they, they remained catholics their entire life and mm-hmm. just did not inherit it so you know like one time my mother ordered me to give give all the books back to my father and she went over the books one by one not knowing anything that's written in it mm-hmm. you know just kind of trying to fulfill her parental duty so that i like sh- she was kind of afraid that my father would just make me crazy and impractical and that i would you know develop some mental illness because he was kind of fragile mm-hmm. he was hypochondriac so i guess she was trying to protect me from his influence um in a way but i always got the books back like i would be sneaking back into you know like his closet and i would be smuggling the books back one by one and my mother would never notice what what is the kind of first aspect of occultism that really resonated with you was it tarot or astrology or what was your kind of first love probably astrology probably astrology because i saw all these people and some of them were like influential people in society who went for readings to get their horoscopes done from my father so it was presented in an atmosphere of great reverence to me like it like everybody took it seriously yeah you know know, i wonder like was that kind of a result of the spiritual revival of the time or was it more like a tradition in Prague and Czech, Czech it was it was rare mm-hmm. it was rare at the time you would have to have inherited from somebody in person like through oral tradition because there was nothing the communists mm-hmm. they shut down all the lodges all the spiritualist groups there was very little rit- literature it just was what, only what was surviving from the pre-war era you know, and then the 1990s were a time of explosive liberty where people were like so hungry for everything, you know, from consumerism mm-hmm. to partying, music, travel, but most of all, ideas. So all kinds of cults from the West have mm-hmm. swarmed the country and my parents were kind of devouring it. Mm-hmm. So like we, we had the Catholic Rosary on Wednesday nights then we went to zen buddhist meditation on you know on on like saturdays and on sundays we went to the catholic mass Mm -hmm. so yeah i was exposed to a lot of spirituality my 
parents were seekers mm -hmm. you could say i guess they were seeking ways out of their own pain and that's how i got that's how i got introduced uh, to it you know but um so so how did you find the the left hand path or how did you oh the left hand path yeah. the left hand path kind of found me so i was put into catholic schools catholic girl scouts catholic parish stuff i fucking hated it <laughs> i hated it to me it was like very emasculating i didn't like the boys there at all they mm -hmm. seemed weak to me like to me catholicism was kind of like an old lady thing like you know with the women yeah they're obnoxious but it did not trigger me so badly as like seeing the men mm -hmm. there you know, and, and and like where i come from the churches are kind of full of women you know? yeah so there was this tension because at this you know i was exposed to occultism but at the same time i was put into all of these catholic institutions mm -hmm. to get a good education or because it was believed that like that was the good environment for me to be and my parents were not wrong like the education was superb it was classical i was kind of sheltered almost from a lot of phenomena like i have not seen drugs until i was 25 like i have physically not seen a joint of marijuana mm -hmm. you know I, I wasn't even wearing makeup like you know i i was very sheltered from the horrors of the consumerist uh capitalist society you know, like I, I would, I was taught to play two musical instruments, and I was taught Latin and you know Greek philosophy and history of arts. That's what I majored, and then I went to study philosophy and theology on college. So it was a very, it was like I was a part of some social caste that just did not even brush shoulders mm -hmm. with the rest of the society. My life here now in Las Vegas is so different. Yeah. Like that that Catholic college girl who was taught Latin and history of arts is she is long gone and she would be very useless here. She mm -hmm. wouldn't make it, I'm telling you. Yeah. So what um So I mean did I've spoken to people who said that Lucifer has literally spoken to them. You said, you said the left-hand path picked you like. It did pick that. me. Lucifer was actually speaking to me as a child. I remember mm -hmm. it vividly and I knew who he was. Like I would not even say his name mm -hmm. out of like fear and reverence, but he did introduce himself as the Prince of darkness and the Prince of the powers of the air. And he kind of looked exactly like, the later cinematic depictions of lucifer that i have seen he was kind of pale mm -hmm. dark ominous very wise attractive but not sexual mm -hmm. kind of like an older brother figure mm -hmm. who cares who protects you i actually turned to black magic as a teenager because of bullying 
for empowerment and it was working but i got scared i got scared that i will lose my soul you know and my heart will become blackened and i will lose the capacity to love that was my fear so that's why i backed off from it but it was it was always creeping back you know in the end i made friends with people who were left-hand path who were like dark nordic pagans mm-hmm. i got my hands on a couple of grimoires that were being published in scandinavian you know very obscure kind of black metal mm-hmm. uh, aesthetics publishing houses and and i got sucked into it and that's what i was like oh my god like it's real like this is my spiritual home the the pool was just very strong and i went through a number of traditions I was with weekends i was with the droids i did like hermetic kabbalah i was with the unitarians um i got pretty deep in haitian Rudon. But but in the end, like the Western demonology, Western occultist, the, the Latin path, that's what stuck with me. And I had to keep it secret, sort of, because even though I was publicly known as a witch and it was my profession, I wouldn't want my clients to know that this is what I actually do. Mm-hmm. Like you could speak about paganism or the goddess or the practice of magic, but probably not about having pacts with demons so so you have this shop in prague and people come in and they they say oh there's like the nice friendly neighborhood witch and then they're in the basement like talk you know with pacts to the devil and stuff almost almost but we kind of moved into the sinister current later on i mean the studio Mm -hmm. is still there it's beautiful it's very like tasteful it it sort of pays homage to the history of prague Mm -hmm. like the decor is all 1600s 1700s there's like statues of gods there's nothing overly sinister there because you Mm -hmm. don't want to make the clients uncomfortable Mm -hmm. but yeah like the ceremonies that took place there they were getting progressively darker Mm -hmm. because that's just where the path has uh has led us and in the end we were we were sought out by people who came with very dark stories you know Mm -hmm. like they were there to solve real trouble not to indulge in like i think a lot of new age spirituality is indulgence honestly Mm -hmm. it's pipe dreams it's escapism people who seek out witches like professional witches they usually have a very compelling reason to like they have exhausted the the options the regular options to resolve their issues so so when they would come to us you know they would come with like a serious dilemma serious life situation and then they would be open to trying whatever we would come up with yeah you know i um had kind of a similar situation where like I had some things come up in my life and I was speaking to some like who root workers and card readers and stuff uh, who I knew personally. And um, they started giving me advice and looking at my cards and that sort of thing. And when I started seeing kind of like the more mundane applications, like getting a job or whatever, you know, work out, 
that kind of like clicked in my mind. Wow, we all are connected in this really weird, big way. And it's like through this kind of materialistic need of mine, it created a more spiritual It's true. I mean, you know, not everybody will start practicing spirituality, but it's always easier to work with people who do, who are open mm -hmm. to it, because they don't demand that you do the work for them, which is not even always possible. You know, like you, you cannot pay people to pray mantras for you all day long to mm -hmm. wipe out your bad karma if you were the black magician in the past. Mm -hmm. Like you gotta face your you gotta face it yourself, you know? Yeah. Through some sort of ritualized drama, you know, like you have to address it. We can facilitate it for you, but you have to be willing to put yourself into it at the very least mm -hmm. as an active observer, as a witness. Because, of course, there is a difference between priesthood and laity. Likes don't have the skills, you know, and they shouldn't even be getting into practical magic, but but they need to be participant mm -hmm. in it. What, what always got me was, like, how many services are offered online where people literally just expect that they will send money somewhere and, yeah. like, poof, magic. Yeah, it's... At the very least, it's really, uh, <laughs> really just asking to be abused. Like it's they so they kind of are putting themselves out there uh -huh. to be scammed, you know. But but it's a demand and offer situation. I mean, you, you could criticize the charlatans just as easily as you could criticize, I guess, the clients because sometimes people are really dumb and they're asking for it. <laughs> right, right. So, um. <clears throat> Are there any like particular teachers or authors that have influenced you or are you kind of Oh yeah, world? many. I mean like who would you Sadly my my mentors are dead mm -hmm. for for the most part and they were not that old, you know. They just mm -hmm. lived uh, they lived a dark life. So, you know, it it got to them, I guess. I'm, I'm not going to name them. Mm -hmm. um, one of them was a Haitian Voodoo mm -hmm. Freemason spiritualist from Southern United States. The other was actually also from the South. He was like a paranormal researcher, writer, alchemist. But I've been learning from other practitioners, like brothers and sisters, sort of mutually in recent years. And my associates, you know, we have conducted a lot of channeled sessions, rituals together. If I were to name one influence, like like name drop, that would probably EA Coding, um, first published by Ixaxar in, in the 2000s. Mm -hmm. I came across the book Baneful Magic in 2009, which was, and I believe still is, like the only printed book out there that discusses the use of black magic, like as black magic, you know, to cause mm -hmm. devastation and What's like defends book? it and, and gives, uh, gives, um, you know, and, and gives the instructions to do so. So that like, that really shook me. And mm -hmm. I, I came into possession of that book randomly. Somebody gave it to me to sell it on eBay mm -hmm. and I read it before I did. 
What was that book again? Baneful Magic. Okay. Um, I'm writing it down. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess what I'm asking is like, it sounds like for the most part, you can't just learn this from a book. Like you really need to be. Some people a- have gotten uh-huh. a lot from the books, but you need to move away from them at some point. You, and, and I believe, and I believe you have to move to kind of reading the science and drawing more from your own practice or from joint practice with other people. And um, so you mentioned the late 80s spiritual revival and in Prague. And uh, are you seeing something similar in the United States these days? I wasn't there. It's so hard to judge, you know, like, like yeah. back then there was, the system was crumbling from within mm-hmm. and it was sort of, it was not oppressing people as badly as it used to. Mm-hmm. So the Catholic church was able to have some like great festivals attended by thousands of people. And this gave people a sense of like hope or, you know, like mm-hmm. the times are changing, you know, like the song from Scorpions, the winds of change. It was a particular atmosphere at the particular time. And like, let me tell you, enjoy the times of great hope and great promise because they have always turned into times of great darkness and despair. And, Mm. you know, like I lived through it. I believed all of it, like, oh, European Union is the best thing ever and freedom and democracy. And then like, and then the war on terror came and other things came and, you know, I guess by the time the SWAT teams were uh, busting through the doors to crack on illegal parties mm-hmm. last year, you know, even the less perceptive among us have realized that the promises of uh, freedom and democracy have not exactly been fulfilled. Yeah. So were were you at any uh, events that were busted up like that? Did you, have you seen that firsthand? Yeah, I I knew people who yeah. who were who were like. It was my impression actually that these events are medialized and or even staged mm-hmm. to cause fear in the population. Yeah, there was a person who shot himself in front of a government building, the Ministry of Healthcare because his wife was denied effective treatment of COVID and he believed that they basically killed her. Mm-hmm. So he came to shoot himself in front of the Ministry of Healthcare and people brought in a mass mountain of candles there and, you know, um, posters and flowers. It was bulldozed within hours. Oh, wow. So, yeah. you know, like I have seen things that frankly you could draw one-to-one parallels to oppressive regimes in the past i don't think great many people have expected that they would see this again in their lifetime but we are seeing the same things you know we are seeing people kind of martyred who stood up against the state we are seeing heavy censorship you know manipulation of media 
And, and, you know, like my ancestors, they are kind of used to being treated poorly because we were always occupied by some foreign force. We are a very small country. Mm-hmm. So people just kind of badger in their hole and, you know, they're going to drink beer and complain in the pub and they don't trust the man, you know, above yeah. them. They're skeptical. So they're just going to survive. They have a certain form of resilience in them and this resilience is connected to the skepticism you know my people they're very negativistic Mm -hmm. they're the opposite of americans like american friends anytime you will tell them about some entrepreneurial idea you you have everybody's gonna be like you're gonna be rich and famous (laughs) whereas whereas the the checks would be like Really? You don't think this is gonna fly? (laughs) So, you know, like for the ambitious and the adventure seekers, my country was always too small and too small-minded. But it's been a very popular destination for the expatriates, people from the West who grew disillusioned with their countries. There is like a sizable, like a hundred thousand people, sizable community of expatriates in Prague who have sort of outpriced the locals Mm -hmm. which is that's the tragedy of it you know people come there to live a good life but they ruin it for the locals right yeah and we we can't compete with some elite programmers who are working for a company in london or new york you know remotely and they don't mind if you know if they if they pay fifteen hundred dollars a month for a studio apartment $1,500 used to be the monthly budget for my entire family when I was growing up and um you've mentioned and I've heard you other interviews talk about um past lives and that that being a really big part of you know your practice and I was wondering if you could kind of talk about that a little bit um well, I came across it sort of randomly because I basically exhausted my theories and my options when I was looking for ways how to break curses, how to break through blockages that I was seeing in my life and also in the lives of my clients. So, you know, logically, you go back to childhood, you go back to explore what you were raised with, um, you can recondition yourself. You can look into ancestral trauma. But then what what if you have gone through all all of this and, you know, it still hasn't been resolved? So so the only logical conclusion that came from there was like, okay, well, then it must be coming from past lives. Because it appears that some people are just born with this. Mm -hmm. Their families were entirely fine nice and yet you know they wanted to kill themselves when they were eight years old Mm -hmm. they were seeing execution sites and mass graves in their nightmares as children you know they were being haunted i have seen entire families who are who are like haunted so that's how i started putting it together and i came to this inevitable conclusion that not only our you know, our deeds follow us. Guilt, 
you know, promises, oaths, but magic follows us big time, mm. you know? So, so there is not just the magic that we do now, but magic that was done before. And that could have been way more powerful. You could have been a more powerful person that you are now. So you're kind of being dragged by this momentum that you have created for yourself before. And if you don't know who you are, and you look at yourself just from the perspective of here and now, and you fall into thinking that like you're a victim, that you deserve better, then you will never find the answers in life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's this tip of the iceberg, who you are now. And of course, I'm not saying that people need to dig into the past. If they don't need to dig into it, if they have their answers and their solutions without doing it, they don't have to do it, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. don't do it just for entertainment or out of curiosity. There has to be a compelling reason. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I started as a regular fortune teller psychic telling people about the future. When I read for people now, I mostly see the past. Mm -hmm. I tell them stories about their past. Do you as someone who's seen both directions, do you perceive of time as linear? Do you think that? No, it's, it's kind of circular. It's, and it's constantly evolving. Like you can change those stories. You can change your perspective of them. And that bleeds into the present. Then you can, you know, you can condition the future. It's, it's one and the same thing, really. Like you are a continuum Mm-hmm. It's a it's a simplistic view to look at it like past, present, future, but it's just kind of easier for our mind, mm-hmm. you know, to to picture it this way. Yeah. But it's all constantly evolving. It's alive. And I mean, do you take like when you talk about a past life? Do you take it? how literally do you take it? Like I could see, I could see a possibility where past lives, where you can work with somebody and help them see their past life. Well, you know, you don't have to take it literally. You don't even have to believe in it. If you're not so inclined, it could be a powerful metaphor. I think I'm trying to say you can work with it as a story, as a symbol, just like you would do with Mm -hmm. dream interpretation and a psychologist, you know, these, these are images. The regression therapy was actually discovered randomly when people Mm -hmm. underwent regression into childhood, Mm -hmm. because that's what psychoanalysis came up with they they looked for the cause of everything in childhood or or like in your parents in the Mm -hmm. ancestral trauma but then you know people came into those offices who had like typically a fear or an anxiety of very specific nature like fear of drowning like they couldn't swim Mm -hmm. so they were taken into a regression but nothing was found there you know they didn't drown they didn't witness their sibling drown it was not conditioned to them by their mother but what appeared if they were put on the the regression is they would you know they would come up with some memory as if seemingly dying in a naval battle mm-hmm. or perhaps being drowned and murdered mm-hmm. And what was discovered is that you can work with these 
seemingly past life memories the same way you would work with any recovered memories coming from this life from from mm -hmm. childhood so you know and you can work with memories of your ancestors which are passed on to you through through bloodline i i've mm -hmm. run into those as well you know like you can heal your bloodlines that is that is a known practice in in many civilizations so you know for as long as it works why why not use it i've seen it work over and over mm -hmm. you know people and a lot of time it even suffices for people to like hear the story or see the story it gives them an explanation it relieves them you know you can invite forgiveness forgive yourself for bad choices or the people Mm -hmm. who killed you past life regression is kind of notorious for bringing up experiences of premature death for most part mm -hmm. or other highly violent traumatic events like like false imprisonment or betrayal that's kind of what sticks with us you mm -hmm. know and 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 that's what we seek to address and understand you know and that it explains our relationships to certain people Mm -hmm. like you know sometimes you will be just like overcome by hatred or spite or just something towards a person that you don't even you know like you don't even know them that that much and it's because you recognize each other on an energetic level so a lot of people you know they they come because of anxieties um because they have fragments of memories and they want to put it together or because their lives just seem to be cursed and they don't know why or because they have some very weird connection to another person that they can't explain and they want to know like what is between them mm -hmm. you know like they <laughs> there there are people in my life who i have met only once 15 years ago for three hours and we still have this fascination with each other, this pull. You know, like I blocked him several times. <laughs> we have arranged to meet several times. It never happened. You know, and like yet we keep being pulled together because there is some resonance on soul level. Like, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why, why would it still be renewing itself so we study these soul contracts these soul ties these um these bonds because we are connected have you i i've done a lot of i've spoken to people who have been in relationships with therapists that are kind of similar to what you're describing except extremely abusive and you know led them to believe things about their past that didn't happen yeah, it, i mean it i always seek to empower people but i know that you know you can get into cults or like gurus and they can really mess with your mind they can abuse even their legitimate skills they can create narratives that fit them and then you know you know before you even count to 10 they're going to be bedding your wife and pimping your daughter and deciding who in the cults you know gets to marry whom and and it just becomes the same thing 
always. Yeah. Have you seen, I guess the, the temptation for somebody with power in a relationship is always, there's always like the possibility that they could be tempted to abuse it. Um, and what you're describing is really powerful, helping somebody literally. I, I, I don't see the people, it's not a relationship really. Like I mostly see them once and then I see them in a couple of years mm-hmm. again, if ever. So it's not like a therapy where you enter into a contract and it's, you know, long-term and the person really has access to you. I I am more like an oracle that people come to consult on some kind of crossroads, you know, in their life. And so I I spill the beans fully. Mm -hmm. I know that I may not be able to see them ever again. So I just tell them all that I see. I kind of try to sell them on it. 90% 90% of the time, they agree, they feel it, you know, they start crying, that they, they know. A few times a year it happens that somebody just doesn't want to listen. Mm-hmm. Like, you can tell them over and over the same thing, and, and they're just, they just won't listen. So, you know, you did, I did my job, you know, maybe you will, maybe you will start thinking about it 10 years from now. Um, so what I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this without sounding cheesy, but I'm very curious about your, like your relationship with Lucifer and that part of your, Oh, it's, it's like a love hate relationship. Yeah. It's like an abusive marriage. It's a, you know, um, from what I understand, we are like soul bound and have been for centuries. So like, he's not going anywhere. He's always been there. He will always be there. He kind of tends to embody himself in my life through men, powerful men, men who are often oppressive towards me in some way. So that's a point of contention. You know, he's also like a father figure in a sense so so you know can be strict can be patronizing but he's also like a provider he always provides mm-hmm. for for his own yeah we talk daily actually i have gotten into a habit of channeling and i record all of these sessions sometimes he comes in dreams sometimes he just drops like a one liner mm-hmm. like an oracle on me you know to for me to determine and he speaks to me through other people especially certain people people around me tend to get possessed and it's kind of scary that that happens that happens a lot you know like when you are so deep in a communion with a deity that you have like taken pacts or you became their mortal consort like a god spouse then they really are your spouse you know like they have the power over your life and they have the duty to you and you have the duty to them and you just always have to come you know like you have to do this together because you have given your your word so it's a very you know, it's a very specific way uh, to live. I have to keep taboos in my life. 
um, like as if I were a member of the priesthood. I, I, I minister to others. That's kind of what I do. That's what my whole life revolves around and has for years. I'm also representing, I guess, a certain current. And, you know, everything my in my life goes back to it. Like, I, I don't have a civil life <laughs> anymore. I, I guess I never had it, in a sense. Maybe when I was younger and I, I was still in college or, you know, doing different hustles, different jobs. But in the recent years and the way that it has progressed, it's just... Uh, taken hold over my life um, completely and I sort of had to mature into it like I had to get older because it's very serious business you know I was mm -hmm. asked to leave Europe I was asked to emigrate I'm being asked to do things often dangerous things like moves that you cannot really rationalize very well so I live on blind faith in a sense like I am the agent Mm -hmm. of the dark lord in this world i am on a mission well i mean i don't know how much you can share but being asked to do dangerous things it sounds like there's a good story there oh there is a lot of good stories but not necessarily of of the entertaining kind you know like i, I came here last year in in july for love and I got married in September, and it's not even my one-year wedding anniversary, and the marriage fell apart, you know, by winter time. Mm -hmm. Because so of your... you know, I I took I took a big risk. I I had my visa run out, and mm -hmm. my husband turned out to be abusive, and he kicked me out on the street in freezing temperatures, with. No health insurance, no car, no driver's license, no money, no job, no employment visa. You know, and I've been trying to recover from that ever since. So that's what I'm calling dangerous choices. Like you sure. go on blind faith. And it's not like people think... Like you're going to make a pact with the devil and you're going to be rich and famous. Well, yeah, maybe later on. Who knows, you know? It's not what I asked for anyway. Mm -hmm. So I can't complain about not having it. And since it is a lifetime thing, you're just asked to do your part. And then at some point, you know, the other party will deliver as well, but you can't drop the ball. Mm -hmm. Is it a lifetime thing or is it a many lifetimes thing? It is a many lifetime things. Like you can take a sabbatical away from it, but I was shown very particular visions where Lucifer himself was like showing me this throne of his in different cultures different times and he was showing me i was always there don't even think that you can live without me because i was always here mm. so you know of course not always you're like a consciously practicing occultist 
you might be something else, but you are still serving that agenda. So there's kind of like, roughly speaking, two or three types of people that listen to this show or watch this live stream. And one of those is like Christian conspiracy theorists who are going to go ape shit because I'm talking to you. And the <laughs> other is like like non-theistic Satanists. So like the uh, the Satanic Temple people who like... Mm-hmm. What do each of those groups kind of get wrong about Lucifer oh. in your mind? Maybe not a short, quick answer to that. But. Well, I'm sure I would get on board with both of these groups on, on many things. I mean, if we spoke about, I guess, our take on liberties, mm-hmm. that would be a great common ground. But the whole non-theistic Satanism thing to me is like very weird. <laughs> <laughs> Like, if somebody were to tell me that, like, they don't believe in spirits and deities, that it's just, like, an archetype, or, you know, it's just, for them, it's, like, a philosophy or, like, a fashion statement, almost, in some cases, I'm like, yo, like, I don't know what to say, you know, like, I I have objects moving in my room when I do ritual, Mm -hmm. to me... I, I respect the choice not to worship spirits or even work with them because not all magicians do. Some magicians believe that you should not be entering into contracts with spirits. You should always command them either or just manifest out of your own will or perhaps using nature, natural magic or you know elements or astrological power. So, so that's like, to me, that's a fair choice. You know, there is definitely a big downside in getting into the whole spirit politics so i just kind of feel weird when people say that it's not even real to me that's dumbass you know like (laughs) do you think that generations of people in all cultures all across the world were wrong and you're the smart lass no you're you're not come on like all the temples all around the world were not built because those people were dumbasses and you you figured out with the Christians, like the, the right-wing conspiracy theories, you know, people who are into um, that sort of thing, uh, they're good people a lot of times. And a lot of times they actually seek the esoteric occult interpretation of reality. Like they want to look beneath the surface, which is something that I appreciate greatly i don't think you can call yourself an esotericist or an occultist if you're buying into all the propaganda bs mm-hmm. like come on and, and this is something that has drawn very new lines in the spiritual community in recent years because a lot of people they just shown themselves to be so gullible so gullible and that they don't even stand for any values so it made me question many people's lifetime of work It's like, you know, if you can fall for any propaganda that they put out there, if you don't even believe in, you know, basic liberty and human rights, then how can you possibly be an occultist, like an initiate of the inner truth? So, you know, there's there's many there's many lines drawn and they sort of always intermingle i i was surrounded by like brexit people 
Trump supporters. You know, for for a number of years, like we, we all saw some kind of hope to overturn this decline of Western civilization. Of course, that has not happened. You know, my husband was a big time conspiracy freak. But in his case, what I saw was mental decline as a result of engaging in these narratives. Because I think if you wake up every day with anxiety, then you lose your mind over what's being written on Facebook. And it and it like it demoralizes you to the point that you're incapable of performing your everyday duties. That that's not a good path in life you know like you're just engaging in a form of mental masturbation forgive me the verbiage but like it's it's not healthy to fill your mind with apocalyptic scenarios if you see yourself as totally powerless to face them so i in a way, I was kind of glad later on after he kicked me out, you know, after I fled, because just a few weeks later, I was like, where are the black helicopters? They're not coming from me. How is this possible? I thought it was going to happen any day when I was with him, and now nothing's happening. And I'm like, you know, was it all just in his head? <laughs> is reality even objective? when it can change so drastically according to who you listen to every day, you know? It's like I stopped following the news because I frankly had too much to deal with in my real life. And I don't miss watching the news. It, it, not, it was not helping me to succeed in life. It was entertaining me. It was satisfying my my need to you know probe deeper but in the end it's all just drama you know and i have seen so many waves of this drama that i'm like you know what's the next thing you, you can shove it i'm not interested like are we going to be bombarded by motorized grizzly bears from the sky i'm sure they can manufacture anything <laughs> with the news there is another heat wave coming or are we going to be poisoned like is china about to attack us you know or are we going to freeze to death over winter because of gas prices i don't have the energy to follow with anymore mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? oh sure and i mean what came really clear to me after living through 2020 up until today is that if the media and the organizations that should be doing something about the problem is not going to even address solutions, but are going to bombard you with the problems. And we're, you know, as a species or as a race or however you want to say it, we're dealing with some real, you know, existence threatening problems. Um, it's just going to break your spirit, you know, yeah, it's, it's, like, it crazy. it's like psychological torture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. So, I mean, I um, totally agree with you there. I did 
hear on an interview with you that um, you mentioned, I think you used the term like a karmic reset. You said something about Lucifer. uh, (laughs) Karmic reset. That's what what I'm being promised, but it could be the bluff, you know, Lucifer is the Lord of lies. I have never run into any other deity that lies so much. Uh Uh-huh. Well, explain that concept. Disinformation. Mm -hmm. It's hilarious. Like, I sometimes record these messages. Like, I laugh at it because, like, you know, but it is not forbidden by the universal laws. Spirits can lie. I think angels can lie too. Mm -hmm. I think so. Um, But what what did he mean? Karmic reset. I was really curious. I think what it means is that your momentum is reaching some kind of critical phase where basically it doesn't lead anywhere from here. It just needs to crash. It's like the economy, you know, it doesn't lead anywhere from now on. Like we can't be making printing that money forever. It will have to have a reset of some sort. Mm-hmm. And you can have this also as an individual. Like maybe you have, you know, maybe there is too much magic influencing your life. Maybe there's some time travel paradox or, or just something that is creating tremendous pressure. And there has to be a reset. My life currently is in that state. My life is currently in the state where no matter how I think about it, other than some miracle, some deus ex machina, some external intervention, I can't dig myself out of this hole. Like, there's no way how I'm going to even save up money for divorce, immigration attorney, place of my own, you know, other than through intervention. Something needs to reset because this path that I've been on, it, it just doesn't progress from here. And, and yet, like, I'm... I know that I will live, like people have seen me as an old woman, so I know that it doesn't end physically, but it will have to end as this particular version of reality, as this timeline. This, you know, Obviously, I'm not going to grow old living in a cheap hotel in Las Vegas. 